Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I am the uh, the American of the bunch, um, the the taller, the more tan Alexander Rossi. I don't count at all in this. I'm taller than you. I'm no, more you don't. Tan than you. No, you don't. But I guess that does make me the shorter, paler Canadian of the group. Yeah, yeah, that's what you got going for you. All right, I'm well, Tim, by the way, just so everybody knows. Buddy cares that you're thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no one is interested in hearing because, again, it's off track with Hinch and Rossi, and that is a trademarked. I'm an implied. I'm an implied part of that post. Of which, which one? The off track part? Because that's where we always go when you speak. <laughs> Maybe he's the and. Maybe it's off track with Hinch and Rossi, and that's like the no, subtle. No. No? No, it's it's off track with Hinch, Rossi, and Tim, but it's a silent and Tim. <laughs> yes. Good call. I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got a very unique guest um, with us this week, a very special guest. Uh, a very special guest for James. Close to my heart, for sure. He is yeah. um, slightly taller than me. He is slightly better looking than me. He is far it's more. The story of your life. So pretty. He's much, my favorite Hinchcliffe. I haven't narrowed him down really at all, other than saying it's a him. <laughs> uh, no, we actually. My brother, my older brother Chris, is going to be joining us on the show today, which I am very excited about. Are you excited? Because we're going to ask him some pretty pointed questions about you as a child. Yeah, no, no, I'm not excited about that. Okay, well, I mean, I think the listeners are excited. I'm excited. Tim's excited, which no one cares about. Nobody. So, so one quick explanation I have to do to the view uh, to the listeners. Um, we've had some technical difficulties today. It's been a day. Uh, we have a, a method. Yeah, we have a method set up to record uh, interviews remotely, and unfortunately, the, the the software that we use was not working. So we did have to record this interview via Skype. So just from the top, um, the audio is not where we would like it to be. But if any Skype executives listen to this show, we love your product and would love um, some money. <laughs> from you and uh, we'd be happy and we're looking for kind of sponsorship and partnership activations skype 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 just want to throw that out there just we love skype in case you were wondering Hashtag. uh we you know alex we uh came off the race in toronto we had a week off uh i know you did some testing did you did you have a good week i i did some testing yeah we went to st louis um yeah some 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 positive stuff came out of that, but really the biggest news of this week, I think, is um, you know Connor Daly is back. Back yeah, in the newsworthy thing I saw. Yeah, back yeah. in a seat for Harding Racing, which is awesome for him. I'm, I'm oh, very, very happy for Connor. Very happy for Connor, yeah. and something that we're going to celebrate and really throw a big party and potentially have some um, guest list invitations, some uh, maybe a seating chart. Center arrangements, um, and I, I really Becky's think there. I, I I really think that Connor should choose, you know, people that he wants to, to kind of be with him on that day um, to kind of celebrate in the moment. But anyways, uh, I guess also James got engaged, which is whatever. Oh yeah, no, I didn't, that didn't matter. To me. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's uh, an overwhelming amount of support from my colleague and friend and then Tim. Um, <laughs> yes, so I guess I'm not going to be the best man. No, you're definitely not going to be invited. Well, hang um, on, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the engagement, but, but before we get to that. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing and highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. 
You can listen to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot because, well, we think it's the best. So let's be real, guys. I mean, James got engaged, which is freaking, I'm freaking amazing. It's about time. Like, Don't can say we... that. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. Sorry. I it's... thought I had a chance with Becky. I, I'm pretty devastated. I mean, you did. You're, you, know, <laughs> you did before, you know, she was... Uh, then somebody had to put a ring on it. But, <laughs> but like, what... What led you to like the moment? Because obviously you you knew that she was the girl, but like ex- if you if you don't mind, explains the the listeners how it happened. Man, you know it's uh, it's funny. It's that's obviously a, a situation you uh, you know you, you hope you only experience once in your life, and it's uh, it's a it's a tough one, you know, to to prepare for because you don't really know what to expect. And um, you know, Becky and I have, have been together for. Uh, about about two and a half years, and uh, I had decided some time ago that you know it was uh, it was the right move, and I was gonna you know be an adult about it and and grow up and pop the question, and, and then it get you get into the phase of having to plan that, and that's a very intimidating thing, you know, because you don't want to screw that up. Everybody asks about you know the proposal and how you did it and this that and the other, and so there's a tremendous amount of pressure, and the one thing that I just didn't want was for Becky to somehow know it was coming because I've heard all these horror stories and there's a lot of different reasons for why a a bride-to-be finds out or gets a hint or a tip or something. And it it inevitably comes from a leak somewhere. And so I just, I told nobody. I was the most, you know, tight-lipped about this um, as I possibly could be until absolute last minutes or absolute necessary situations. And uh, I had planned to do it after the race uh, in Toronto. We always have that week off afterwards, and we had planned to go up to uh, to our cottage about two hours north of Toronto and and just relax up on the lake for a week. And I figured, you know, what better place to uh, to do it? We both kind of grew up there, and uh, and it's our favorite place in the world, really. And it was obviously a very uh, special moment for us. And um, you know, I. I had a lot of things that kind of went the right way. You know, I, I needed weather to play a part because I wanted to do it, you know, out on a boat in the middle of the lake, just the two of us. And and despite a, a storm earlier in the day, uh, it had subsided and uh, we kind of had the, the opportunity that we needed to. Went on a bit of a cruise, just the two of us after dinner. And uh, and that's, that's sort of where it happened. And amazingly, she said yes, which, uh, you know, is still <laughs> something I'm very thankful for. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, so two follow-up questions, then I'll leave you alone about it. Number one is, did you have like some sort of way to, to like secretly record it and capture the moment or is it just in your two's memories? Um, I didn't. And, uh, so it's, it's just between the two of us and like, and part of me loves that. They loves that. It's something that it will only be something that, that her and I can enjoy, but the the fact of the matter is, Alex, and and I'll I'll, I'll say this to you as advice um, <clears throat> for when you find yourself in that position, Tim. I assume that's never happening for you, so you can check out for better. Yeah, no, need. absolutely never. But no, it, it, I wanted it just to be something that that the two of us had. But at the same time, it's such a rush of emotions uh, that we we both kind of blurred out on a big part of it. And so it's tough to know exactly what was said and, you know, the precise order of things and, and this, that, and the other, but you know, we've, we've talked about it since and sort of pieced together what we think exactly went down. And um, it was, it was a very, very special moment. It really, it couldn't have gone off better. And uh, I know that a, a lot of proposals don't necessarily, you know, go down exactly the way they're planned. And I'm very thankful that, uh, that ours pretty much went to plan. And it was a, a very, very special moment for the both of us. So the, the final question I have before I start to tear up is, did you cry? Did you? Uh, absolutely. Did you 100%. Yeah. 100%. Oh boy. I, uh, it's funny. It's <laughs> funny. So I'll say, her. Well, I'll, I'll, so I'll say this and I imagine she'll be, you know, she would be okay with telling this story. Um, Becky always, you know, she had told me after the fact that she'd always said to her friends that, uh, she was very curious to know how she'd react in that situation because Becky's funny in the sense that uh, 
she's she's very good at kind of holding her emotions in check and not crying in situations where a lot of people would. Um, but when she does, man, does she cry. And the moment that I kind of pulled out the box and she really understood what was going on, it went from like zero to catastrophic waterworks in like no time flat. And, uh, you know, I, I sat there and just off her reaction, got very emotional. And as I was kind of saying my speech, definitely, definitely teared up and was crying a bit. And uh, yeah, it was, it was honestly, it was, you know, she, she, she likes to say that it was this ugly cry, but I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And um, it was just, a, it was a beautiful moment, but yes, well, not a, not a shame to admit that uh, I had a little bit of, a little bit of the waterworks happening myself. Well, man, we, uh, from the bottom of our hearts, I am, I'm truly proud of you. Happy for you. We love Becky and we love you two together. So we cannot wait to see how that adventure goes and be a part of it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a very cool thing that we're all, we're all very happy for. So, um, we'd love to hear more about that, but, um, in the spirit of keeping some things private, um, we're going to continue on with the usual programming of off track with Hinge and Rossi and the interview with your brother, Chris. We have a very special guest today. He is, um, the owner of Three Degrees, author of two books, and he holds a black belt. Ladies and gentlemen, he also happens to be my older brother, Christopher Hinchcliffe. Thanks for coming on the show, bud. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. And, Wait, and so, so if you're an owner, does that mean you bought all three of them? That is correct. A sizable amount of money was exchanged um, uh, in, uh, for, those, for those degrees. That is true. So, so PhD, people who have dough. That is that is correct. It's taken a long time for people to figure that one out. That'd be a PWHD, but I'm not the one with three degrees. That's not how acronyms work, there, James. I'm gonna I'm gonna side with Alex on this one. Thank you. Okay, I think the best ones though work like that. Okay. I'm struggling. I really want to find like I'm trying to think of like a great example of an acronym that is clearly not following the letters of words, but. Anyway, PhD. That being said, Captain Doctor, Captain PhD, can you please please tell us about about that? So, like, A, where did you go to school? B, what did you study? And C, what are you doing now? Well, thanks. Great question, Alex. Took uh, two of my degrees at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, where for a very very brief period of time I was enrolled at the same time as my uh, uh, highly esteemed younger brother James. Um, and I studied there, uh, philosophy was what I was studying. And then I, uh, I, I hopped across the ocean to the university of Oxford where I did a PhD or DPhil, as they like to call it over there. Um, in technically it was in law, uh, and I was studying and, and publishing in, uh, legal, moral and political philosophy. Okay. So you go to McMaster university in the <clears throat> glamorous town of Hamilton, Ontario, and, you decide you're going to do your doctorate and how do you land on Harvard Were you, or sorry, how do you land on Oxford where like Yale and Cambridge just not quite good enough for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Harvard was obviously my safety school. <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, honestly, I, I, I didn't have big dreams of, of going to one of these uh, super elite universities uh, when I was sort of coming through. I knew I kind of wanted to be a prof. That was a dream I had for a while. And my, uh, my master's supervisor uh, who had done his PhD at Oxford, sort of put the put the idea in my head when I was doing my master's here in Hamilton. Um, and so I, I applied and, you know, by some freak uh, accident, they did not look too carefully at my application and uh, and they let me in. And that, that was pretty much it. It wasn't it wasn't something I had my eyes set on until literally sort of eight months before before I applied. And ladies and gentlemen, as his brother, I have some insider information and the real story, as nice as that sound and as rehearsed as it was, he was just a big Harry Potter fan and wanted to go to the school that Harry Potter went to. Wait, did you ever meet Emma Watson? Do you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Emma Watson's family is actually from Oxford. And when I was there, she was studying English literature at uh, Brown University and did a year abroad 
uh, in Oxford. So there, I didn't meet her per se, but uh, I definitely saw her while I was cycling down the main street uh, one day and I gave her, you know, a wink and a nod. And, you know, I like to think we had a connection. And by connection, you mean restraining order. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, tomato, potato, whatever. So you go to Oxford, um, like that's that's such an accomplishment, first off. Um, you've now have since written two books, which we'll talk about in a minute. You've been a professor, but you also teach karate. Like, is there any parallels between those three things? I mean, I think, how does I think that what Alex is trying to say is pick one, damn it. Also pick a, true. Pick a lane. Pick a lane. Yeah. Well, you know, Alex is not one I, you know, take take advice on picking lanes. Uh, from, <laughs> but um, uh, oh, I didn't I didn't know Robert Wickens was making a guest appearance on the show. But okay, <laughs> got to represent the A team. Oh, um, uh, honestly, I mean, listen, uh, martial arts uh, was something that I did uh, just as a hobby when I was here in Hamilton before. Um, and I don't know. I mean, is there a connection between them? I mean, sort of. I mean, you could say that, you know, martial arts has, uh, you know, has its own pretty well established, you know, kind of philosophy view of the world, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, back then I was really into the whole self-improvement kind of idea, um, which was also part of why I chose philosophy, right? Like I wanted to understand things. I wanted to know how to live you know, a good life and, and you know, live properly. And, and martial arts kind of fit in with that. Um, and then, you know, after my stint in England, uh, studying and teaching and, uh, and when I decided to sort of, you know, turn away from the academic route and, and come back, come back home to Hamilton, um, I sort of picked it back up again. And so, yeah, so I, I've, I've, I've been teaching, I mean, I love teaching. So, I mean, that's another through line between both, right. Whether it's teaching philosophy or teaching martial arts, um, you know, I really enjoy that process of sharing, sharing things with other people that, you know, and, uh, and helping them out. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's the only connection between them, but, uh, you know, if you ask me to pick, I mean, it's just, it's really just a question of what I'm focusing on at any given time. I mean, I'm still reading the same kind of stuff I liked to read when I was studying it. I just do it with a little bit less pressure and, uh, uh a little more free time now. So we've, we've established, uh, where you came from and how you got your multiple, multiple fancy degrees, by the way, uh, at Thanksgiving dinner in the Hinchcliffe household, it is, it is clear that, uh, you know, <laughs> Chris's intellect and multiple degrees are far more impressive than the son that literally drives in circles for a living. Uh, so just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but, but you have now sort of dabbled in a different world, uh, not writing. You've done, you've done much of that, but writing about a topic that is maybe more in my wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, you raise an excellent point. I, I think, I think now is probably the time for me to come, uh, come forth with a bit of a confession, which, uh, I have made a few times now, um, you know, at a few talks and, and in personal conversations, but a lot of people, uh, who have seen uh, Chasing Checkers or, or, or read the books um, or have seen me around the track may not know this. And this is, I think, what James is perhaps hinting at, which is that for most of my life, I was not what you'd call a race fan or, you know, a racing fan. Um, I had nothing against it necessarily, but uh, I know it came as a bit of a shock um, to my family when I said, uh, hey, I'm going to write a book about racing. The book part didn't surprise them, but the racing part did. Uh, and yeah, can I, we can we talk about that real quick? We never really we never really addressed how poorly you brought that up to the family. Uh, we have this we have this sibling and this member of the family that is the high intellect and you know the the PhD law philosophy professor and and all the like. And and he sends us an email one day saying we're thinking about writing a book. And as Chris says, that's no surprise. And follows it up with. It's about a young Canadian kid who wants to be an IndyCar driver. Frankly, a very far-fetched, very fictional scenario. We get that. But not only did he not only did he surprise us with the route that he took on the topic of the book, but he also then sent us like the first 70 pages. He had already written a good chunk of it. That was uh that was rude, Chris. You should have you should have consulted sooner. Do you think? I mean, I I I I I actually thought very deeply about this, James. I um you know, I, when I had the idea, I, I knew I was going to have to ask you guys because, again, for those of you who don't know, the the both both books, but really, I mean, the first one more so than the second one, um, 
you know, are inspired by uh, another uh, Canadian race car driver who came up the ranks uh, named Robert Wickens. I was say, Robbie was a big <laughs> contributor to the book. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, no, I mean, knowing that, knowing that I was drawing on essentially our family history, I knew I was going to have to ask you guys, but I didn't want to send you an email before I started and just have you guys kind of blow it off. I wanted to have something to show you to say, you know, here's kind of, you know, what I'm thinking. Um, so that's why I did it the way I did it. Uh, why I did it at all is, is a slightly different question, um, which I, I mean, I can answer you if that's sort of what you're, what you're getting please, towards. Please do. You know, basically, well, I was off in England. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a huge racing fan independently of, of your career, right? I mean, I enjoyed following you. I watched your races. I liked going to your races, um, you know, supporting my brother kind of thing. And when we were kids, you know, it was about hanging out with with dad. You know, our dad was into racing and he liked to, to do the, the vintage, you know, British sports car thing that he did on the weekends. And it was more about hanging out with the guys. Um, but you know, when, when you took to go-karts, it really became obvious that racing was going to be your thing. And I had other interests. I was interested in astronomy and science and, you know, I wanted to be an astronaut back in those days. So I kind of just let you have it and, and off, off I went. Um, but you know, so here I am, you know, over in England, you know, pursuing my philosophy career. And then you went and, and put yourself into a wall. Um, you know, is that too soon? Anyway, so, <laughs> So, so you, so you go put yourself into a wall. And one of the things that happened to me when that occurred was I really realized sort of how I wasn't just like half a world away, but like, you know, the whole family back in Canada uh, or North America, you know, was in some, some way involved uh, with you and your career. And it was like, it was very much kind of the family thing. And the longer I'd been away, the more I'd kind of distanced myself from from you guys, you know, not just geographically, but it felt like I was losing some of my connection because, you know, I would come home, as you say, at Thanksgiving and and sure, I would I would debate whatever the, you know, the uh, the topic of the, the day was. But, you know, it wasn't long before it turned back to racing and I felt more and more disconnected. And when you had your accident, it really hit home for me. Um, and that was, and, and so part of, part of what got the wheels going with the book was like me trying to figure out a way to connect with that side of the family, which had become, you know, so sort of all consuming. And, you know, obviously I couldn't help you with your career. I couldn't, you know, participate in the racing stuff directly, but I'd always wanted to try fiction. And, and I knew that there was side of racing that didn't get a lot of play, right? People get really into the drama of the racetrack or, you know, I don't know, contract season or whatever, but not a lot of people know the stories of the, of the kids who actually fight their way up through the ranks. Whereas for me, that was the story, right? So I watched then, you all the way from the beginning. So Chris, what was it like growing up with James? I mean, obviously you two had different interests. Was he someone that you kind of, thought his dream was, was, was cute and that you hoped he could achieve it? Or was it something that you believed was, you know, definitely possible? And, or if you don't want to get that deep, was he just an annoying little brat and you picked on him all the time? James and I always got along as kids uh, for the most part. If anything, I mean, he, he never struck me as a brat. He might've thought I was a bully uh, at various points. And I can let James elaborate on that if he chooses, but uh I like to think I helped condition him for a life of extreme danger, but uh, that's, that's that's true by throwing me over banisters and launching me off of swing sets. But that's not why we're here. No, no, absolutely. We wouldn't want to bore the listeners with that story. But uh, no, I mean, having James as, as, as a brother was great. You know, we got along really well, um, uh, you know, right up until, you know, I took off or he I, actually like, he took off to England before I did. He actually James actually lived in Oxford before I did. If you remember, James, I do. But did I ever believe, you know, did I believe he was going to make it or think it was a cute hobby? No. I mean, I, I, I always saw the potential there. Honestly, I actually I actually remember the biggest fear I had was that James would become super successful and just become a total like sell out 
uh, uh, jerk, you know, and just be like, you know, get obsessed with all the wrong things and, well, and only talk about sponsors and it's too bad and, that came and, true. And helicopter flights and things like God. that. Always the helicopters. Uh, oh God, here we go. Just unbelievable. So then I want to end the childhood kind of conversation with this final question, Chris. Tell me the most embarrassing story. Thanks for coming on, Chris. We really appreciate everything you've contributed. I, I'm at university, and I get this call from my sister's friend saying, uh, Chris, uh, James and uh, Rebecca, our sister, are uh, kind of having a party, and things are getting a little a little crazy. Would you drive from Hamilton at you know 1130 at night and uh, help us uh, at the door? at the door. They had headphones. They had a guest list. They were collecting uh, cover charges. Uh, this this night really did get out of hand. Uh, there was fights. There was bottling. You know, Dude, it was, it was, it was a pretty impressive setup. The, we the pièce de résistance like was when the next morning. Everything? The next yeah. morning, there was a sculpture uh, in, the, in the backyard. Uh, there was, yeah, next to a little pond that, uh, that was missing. And to this day, we have no idea where. And this was a heavy sculpture. Like we don't, we still do not know where it ended up. But uh, but yeah, but James and Rebecca, uh, through this party, uh, there were holes in the walls. There was all kinds of damage. But the, I mean, the joke of it is, and it was many many years later before I finally revealed this pa- this fact to our parents. But they made more money on the on the on the the cover charge for that party um, than they spent fixing all the damage and replacing the sculpture. So they still made out in the end. So I don't know if that makes it a dumb thing or not. I feel like they actually proved their, proved their, their, their metal. I, uh, I was a business major. What do you want? You were a business major. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> well, I wasn't there very long, but I clearly, I clearly learned a thing or two. Okay. So facing checkers, we, we kind of covered the, how it sort of started, but I remember one thing. So, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the show, you are um, a, a black belt. You're a martial artist. You're now a karate teacher, instructor. Uh, it's been a passion of yours for a long time. And I remember when we were kids and I started racing, you used to sort of laugh at what I did. And uh, I'll be honest, Chris, I'm going to air some grievances here. Look down on what I did from an athletics point of view as a martial artist. And in your late teens, you got the opportunity to do a racing school. Uh, it was a Bridgestone Racing Academy up at Mosport, uh, where I had been learning how to drive, getting my race license, and and competing in their in their race school. And you did a day in those cars, and the day consisted of four twenty minute sessions in a very entry level, you know, school level uh, race car, Formula Two Thousand car. And at the end of the day. You had a slightly different opinion of my uh, chosen craft, did you not? Dude, I, you know, I just, I, oh, I'm having a really hard time remembering that day. <laughs> Let me tell you your exact yeah, yeah. quote. Your exact okay. quote. All right, I figured you remember this guy. Was uh, sorry, bro. Had no idea how hard this was. I'm exhausted. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've always considered myself a polite person, so that, that would have just been the, the polite thing to say. In that, Not to me, that. you haven't. Listen, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I, did, did, I mean, is it fair to say? I mean, it, it's not exactly how I remember it, but you could be right. Did I, did I disparage the physicality of your, of your, of your chosen craft? Is that I, true? I mean, that, that's not your style, Chris. It was more like the subtle jabs here and there. Like I did a thousand crunches today because the teacher said, pick a number. And I said, 10, and he times it by a hundred. Didn't whatever, you know, you, and, and what did you, oh, you drove 20 laps in a go-kart. Cool. Good for you. So you weren't like, you weren't like stabby, like racing sucks. You suck. But I mean, you had your moments of thrown in your subtle, you know, veiled I, jabs. I will. I listen. I will take that criticism. And no, I. I absolutely stand by the correction. No, I have. I have nothing but, uh, but the, uh, the the deepest respect and appreciation for what uh, you uh, you gentlemen do. Uh, even to the point, I might add. I mean, there's a coda to that story. Well, there's, there's two things. I mean, one is I. You know, that was the day when we did that race school. Uh, I think my one of my strongest memories from that day um, was when. We went out and it was, you know, because it was a it was a dozen guys and you um, 
I think you only popped by in the afternoon, maybe, or were you there for the whole day? I don't. All I remember is that we went out in these Formula Two thousands, and you know, within thirty seconds of us being out on the track for one of these sessions, you know, most of us are still all pretty bunched up, and James is just across the track. He's just like light years ahead of us. And we all think we're driving, you know, the, the edge of these machines. And clearly, you know, we were we could have been in golf carts for all the difference it made. Like there was just no chance. And that was the first time I really appreciated your skill as a driver. And if by the end of the day, I appreciated the physicality of it, I, I fully accept that. As I said, the coda to the story was when James came to visit me in Oxford many, many years later, uh, he faced similar chuckles from some of my friends uh, who would who would you know uh, make jokes about whether race car drivers were athletes or or something like that? And I I seem to remember jumping to your defense at that point. Um, so I like to think that I grow as a person with 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 new knowledge and and, and wisdom when it comes to me. Uh, certainly. And the other part that I re- that I loved uh, that you gained a respect for was not just the physicality, but how mentally drained you were because of the concentration it takes to operate a car at that level. And so the the question that I that I kind of have to to lead off of that is in Chasing Checkers, uh Teddy Checks, the main character, kind of goes through a similar experience at a similar venue. Uh I would imagine loosely inspired by the Bridgestone Racing Academy. No, and not so not so loosely. Not so loosely. And and was and was wondering if any of your direct experiences kind of played into or ended up essentially in the book um, as as things that Teddy experienced. I mean, absolutely, a hundred percent. It was it was it was an interesting experience for me writing uh, that first book because it forced me to to really dig deep into memories that were you know many many years old by that point, um, to try and summon those experiences that I had while also kind of incorporating, you know, the decades of conversations that I'd had either with you or heard, you know, overheard you having at the dinner table. Um, it, it was a really, really fascinating, uh, uh, uh experience of, of synthesizing all these different things when I was trying to write, you know, what Teddy might be feeling when he's in the car, you know, trying to remember what it smells like, you know, what, 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 the, what the suit felt like, what the inside of the machine felt like. That's why, I mean, I really do think that, that writing the book was, was one of the biggest things uh, that's, uh, that I've done to really sort of hone and, 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 and create sort of a nuanced appreciation uh, uh, for what you guys do. We put it onto Twitter that we would be talking with you, and uh, we asked the lovely people in the Twitter sphere if they had any questions for you. And so we would now like to read some of the submissions that we got. We hope you didn't actually check your Twitter between then and now and, and get a head start, but uh, but here we go. First off, Michael Nomko wants to know if you've ever passed yourself off as me. Oh, that is a fabulous question. Um, uh, Mr. Nomko, was it? Uh, yeah, no. So there's really only one time. We were at a race uh, in, uh, it was Mont Tremblant, wasn't it, James? It, yes, it was Mont Tremblant 2007, and, and this was what, Atlantic or? Yes, Formula Atlantic. Formula Atlantic. And nobody on James's team knew who I was, right? I hadn't met any of them yet. And I drove into, uh, you know, into Mont-Tremblant late, late Friday night with a car full of James's friends. And we decided after we dropped our bags off at the, at the hotel that we were going to go out. So we did that. We dropped our car, uh, dropped our bags off. We went out and we were having just the time of our lives at some bar and we were out on the patio and we were dancing and we were drinking and, and, you know, rivalry or rivalry, uh, revelry, uh, and good fun was being had by all little did I know at the time that a couple, uh, of the family members of the, uh, th- that owned the team, uh, were walking home after dinner and spotted me during this, this, this period of debauchery and thought it was James. So I get up the next morning. I, I lazily wander down to the, to the hotel sort of breakfast room and and I spot these people who are wearing, you know, the, the, the shirts, right, the team shirts. And I think, oh, I'll go over and introduce myself. 
so I wander over. I'm like, hi, I'm James's brother. It's nice to meet you guys. And all of them look at me and their faces just drop. And in unison, they just say, oh, your brother is in so much trouble right now. So what he doesn't mention is that in the time of the spotting and the time of him meeting this family, the family has uh, uh, corresponded with my team manager that I was out till all hours of the morning in a cage at a bar in Mont-Tremblant. And uh, by the time he made it to breakfast, I had already been chewed out by my team manager <laughs> for acting irresponsibly the night before a race. So Chris, I was going to leave the cage out of it, but I'm glad, I'm glad you brought the cage into no, that. I, I, I want to hear there. more about the cage. There was There's a no, cage. There was some dancing. There's no need That's, to go into the cage, Chris. I feel like I, the I listeners want to know about the cage. Look, look, what, what fans want to know is what Rachel Small wants to know. So, Alex, why don't you ask the next question? Well, what Rachel Small wants to know is, James, how did you get out of it? <laughs> how did you get out of that cage? That was not what Rachel Small wrote. No, but no, but legitimately, like when the team manager called, how did you not get fired? Oh, he didn't call. He didn't call. He confronted me at the racetrack because you, Alex, you remember those days when you were a support series. You're there at like six o'clock in the morning because you're on Fair. track at seven fifteen. And uh, he he stormed up to the front of the trailer and was was very red in the face. And uh, it, as he started telling the story, he went on in his whole spiel. And about a quarter of the way into the story, I knew exactly what had happened. But I let him finish just to make him feel sillier when he was done. And uh, I explained that I had a brother who shared some resemblance with me. And that was who was out. And luckily, the family later corroborated my side of the story, so it was fine. But uh, for no, a brief, but, but like at that instant, did he buy it or not? Uh, yeah, no. At the time, he did. I mean, luckily, Facebook was still a thing back then, and I was able to show pictures to prove that he was not only very since similar. deleted. Nobody go look up those pictures. Yeah, <laughs> I think the cage pictures exist somewhere. Anyway, Rachel do. Small. Well, it feels like we're not focusing on the so, cage. So, guys, so like. Was it a cage for one person or two people? Okay, so Rachel Small wants to know. I managed to get three in that. (laughs) Three people in a cage. Was there any animals or was it just a human Rachel Small wants to know, Chris, what what you were weirdest with Chris. Like, are you locked in the cage or do you have the (laughs) the love of Pete? What is your weirdest writing ritual? Well, first, you need you know, a, it's a It's a oh, feature. It's a feature. This has been off track <laughs> with Hitch and Rossi. Okay. Go, 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 Alex, just finish the question. Rachel Small wants to know what kind of dance you did inside. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that the family resemblance goes beyond looks. And, uh... <laughs> Rachel, on behalf of myself, my brother, my co-host, and I guess them, I apologize for attaching your name to all these ridiculous questions that you did not ask. But what she did ask, Alex, was. What is your weirdest writing ritual? Like when you sit down to write a book, what, what goes down? You know. I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, it doesn't seem weird to me. Um, my writing ritual, uh, often it involves, uh, usually it's, I, I, I'm a solitary writer. I like to write on my own. I don't especially like working in coffee shops unless I'm doing editing or something like that. So unlike your stuff. cage dancing. I like my cage dancing. I like to be alone. Also, unlike my cage dancing, I like, uh, I like to listen to kind of ambient uh, electronic kind of chill lounge kind of music, which is maybe a bit weird. Uh, it's kind of the only time I really listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, you can't really dance to it for one thing, but yeah, I mean, no, I mean, a lot of coffee, uh, a bit of music, a lot of time. I spend a lot of time not writing when I'm writing, uh, (laughs) which I don't think is that strange. I think a lot of writers have that experience, a lot of procrastinating. Uh, my house is usually spotless uh when i when i claim to be writing yeah i mean i you know i like to write in stints i like to you know pick three hours and say you know i'm gonna write i'm gonna sit at this desk for three hours or i'm gonna write i don't know a thousand words 1500 words whatever and whichever comes first that's that's sort of my writing day okay so moving along karmic fast wants to know what reality show you'd be on if you had your pick i'm pretty sure i know the answer 
what reality show? Well, the problem I've had is that uh, I have this uh, family member who ruined this for me. I, I definitely would have said uh, Dancing with the Stars, I think, at one really? point. Really? Uh, do you have no idea how much you Based on his when you went on that show? You know, you, I've never, told, I've never told you this before. You've I, never told me that. I was going to yeah. say Survivor. Yeah, well, that, so that's my real answer. But no, I, I, I wanted to use this as, as an excuse to bring up some, some, some deep trauma. No, I, 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 I felt deeply, deeply wounded um, when you went on to Dancing with the Stars, and not like I held it against you exactly. It's just that you know, I was, I was a drama geek and a music geek and, you know, and I, you know, I really, I really liked dancing and, and that kind of stuff. And I'd always wanted to, to, to learn to dance. And, and I love, you know, choreographed stuff. One of my favorite things in martial arts is actually doing musical forms, musical katas, right? Cause I just, I love that choreographed music or movement to music. Um, and so when you went on to dancing with the stars and crushed it, I was like, well, great. I guess, I guess I can never do that. I can never go and take a dance class. Au contraire, um, mon frere, if anything, it proved that not only can you do it, anybody yeah. can do it. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's, well, that's what I like to think that I gave the world with my, with my tenure on Dancing with the Stars is that anyone what, can, in fact, anyone can finish second days and a world-class coach and, uh, and anyone can live the dream. Exactly. Anyone can finish second. First loser, Alex. First loser. But yeah, survivor. That's the answer, obviously. There you go. The first and the best. Corey Long, Corey with a K, wants to know, and this is um, probably the least important question that we have, but, you know, we're going to throw it in there anyways. Chris, when are you going to write a book about Thim? Okay. Confession. I actually did see this tweet and I actually replied to it and my answer still stands. I am working on a book about Tim, but I have not yet branched into the genre of erotic fiction. Um, <laughs> but once, once I, once I have, uh, I have gathered up the, the, the courage to, uh, uh, to dive into those, those murky waters, uh, you better believe that, um, that, 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 that Tim will be the first. Well, speaking of sex life, um, Final final question. Mike Lloyd wants to know if there was a real Allison character in Hinch's life. Oh, that, that is a very good question. Good job, Mike. Yeah, great job, Mike. Do you know, I have, so I have to be honest. So a lot of the characters in, uh, in Chasing Checkers are drawn from or based upon uh, real people in, in James's life or in my life. Um, the Allison character... Uh, was not based on someone that I am aware James had in his life. She was loosely based on someone that I know, uh, not a racer, but uh, a competitor of a different sort. Um, and uh, and so that was sort of the 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 you know the base character. Uh, but I'm actually curious to to turn this question to James whether there was an equivalent, uh, you know, that maybe I just didn't know about, or maybe, and this is something that I've realized in talking about this book is that there's a quite a few details, which, um, at the time I thought if I hadn't invented exactly had just sort of come to me that upon further reflection, when pressed, I realized that I may have actually picked up without realizing it. So I'd actually like to turn this on James. Has, James, has there been a fierce you know, female uh, competitor friend? Is this confidant? the awkward part of the interview where James has to admit that he hasn't read the books yet? <laughs> no, hang on. Hang on. I'm going to jump in there, Tim, because I want to point out that James has not only read the books, James has given critical feedback on, on both books. Uh, no, I can safely say I have read them both. The second one in about four hours due to the late arrival of the uh, manuscript to my inbox. But uh, no, Chris, your your uh, original impression was true and accurate. There was nobody uh, that fit that particular um, mold in my life growing up. So that was a, a largely fictional character. Well, as you say, based on someone you knew. But no, I never, I never really had an Allison in my life. All right, so Battle Royale. 
James, Chris, you guys are uh, famous brothers, at least by Canadian standards. So, <laughs> guys, today, those of you that don't know, Battle Royale, I give them a, a topic of, or a, a group of characters, and they have to imagine if those characters were in a fight to the death, who would be the winner? Today, given that, again, by Canadian standards, you guys are, uh, are famous brothers, the topic is famous siblings. So this time you pick you pick the siblings that you think would go into a fight in a group and and come out victorious in a fight to the death. All right, uh, Chris Hinchcliffe, we like to give our guests a little extra time to think about this. So, uh, Alex, if you have a brother pairing that you would like to submit as your destined to fail submission, I think for he's got Battle a shot Royale. at this one. I think Guys, he might, he, yeah, I think I'm going to be all right at this one. Hit it. See, I don't know their last names because I don't know. I don't know if they. I don't know if they had them back then, or if they're actually brothers. Nope, because there was only like probably fourteen people on the planet. But I'm gonna go with Cain and Abel. Wow! Wow! (laughs) I did not see that coming. Okay. You are proving your erudition. um, What a terrible choice! Just terrible. Terrible. Because one of, one of them kills the other. They're not. Like, <laughs> explain to you, that is the level of commitment that they have to winning. Okay? This they will kill might, their own in order to This might okay. very well be your worst. <laughs> Which is such a shocking statement because he's had some doozies. Guys, Cain and Abel all the way is going to rip whatever so, you got right. to shred. So I sit there and I tell you that we're going to do a team fight where, where where they get to come together and use their like joint strengths. And you choose the, the siblings that are most famous for one killing the other. How are they going to help each other? But they don't need to help each other because I, I'll admit, I don't know. I feel Anything? like Cain killed Abel. I think Cain killed I think Cain killed Abel, but let me tell you what, Cain parties, man. Cain <laughs> is going to show up and he's going to be ready to rock. So what I'm going to go with, uh, Chris Hinchcliffe and James Hinchcliffe. Oh, that is the stupidest thing I think I've you, ever heard in my entire life. You're not going to kill one. Yeah, that judges, would be judges call on this. Judges call. Are we, uh, yeah, are we allowed to include ourselves in this? Because, uh, I mean, I think we'd stand a pretty good shot. I mean, oh I mean you guys God. are Canadian famous, but he's, I don't think you'd win. I mean, he's a he's a he, here's the deal. Well, so he's far our competition artist. is Kane and Abel. So, right. <laughs> so but Chris, so you don't even have thought. And James, you literally don't get angry ever. No, but That's here's a good the thing. thing. I, I stay calm. I've got quick reflexes. Chris is a multiple level black belt. I did some martial arts. Uh, in my youth, and I also got I the considered cake. the martial arts. Cain murdered people. How many also, people has I Chris also, murdered? I we to, I signed we uh, talk about an that. agreement. I can't say anything. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Chris is the martial. Art. I also got the crap kicked out of me several times by him as a kid. So I, I've learned some self defense. Uh, and then we have a great. Uh, we got a great getaway driver when it's all said and done. So I'm going to say the Robert Wickens. Wait, Rob is shot. a part of your brothers? That was that was a joke, Alex. I was waiting for the Hemsworths to get taken. Uh, I'm a little surprised no one thought of the Wayans brothers. I mean, I'm pretty sure that oh, cool. Damon, Damon, Damon and, and you know we we got a drill sergeant, we got masters of disguise. I mean, those guys are cut. They are they are ready to rumble. All right, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see yeah, them. None of them have murdered. So. Well, it's 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 tough. But honestly, I think I think in terms of uh, both class and craziness, I'm going to have to go with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Oh, we I think I would kind of go with that. Like, Emilio then, wouldn't bring a lot to the fight, but Charlie and Sheen Charlie definitely. would. Yeah, okay. Charlie Sheen's crazy. So, is guys, he? basically, yes. basically, hold on. Basically, what we're up against is. A, it's two teams of one against one team of two. You've no, got Cain no, and Abel. no, 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 no. Alex, let me finish. One of them's already dead before you show up because your other guy killed him. The other one's Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez is too busy skating around a ring trying to teach twelve-year-olds how to shoot a puck. James, James, Charlie, Charlie James, Sheen might. Be- James, 
ducks yes. fly together. Ducks do fly together. Ducks okay. fly together. Okay, so it's a it's they he can't bring the whole D two team with him. Guys. That's not how this and, works. And who's who's to player. say that battle royale took place post Abel's death? Or not on an ice rink. I hate that this I'm having to like defend my brother who had such a terrible choice in this, but like he's part of my team. Terrible choices. This is the worst round of choices from all of you. We want to hear more about how I'm better than. I Charlie went to Chief. biblical standards to choose my choice. I think Chris perf- like purposely chose a bad team because he wanted my team to win because he's technically on it. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, huh. I kind of win either way, right? So, well, we're going to leave it to Guys, Twitter. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. We'll leave it to Twitter, but I'm officially saying this is the first time that all three lose. Anyway, Chris, on that bombshell of probably the worst round of Battle Royale in the history of Off Track You guys, I'm just disappointed. But we did make history. We did make history together, my friend, and that is something to be proud of. Chris, uh, on behalf of Alex, the other guy, and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it, guys. Make sure to download or buy on Amazon uh, both the first Chasing Checkers and Chasing Checkers Acceleration, the sequel which just dropped. Uh, Very exciting. And again, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is Ask Off Track, or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram or Snapchat story. We're also taking emails at ask at offtrackpod.com and phone calls at 317-731-2372. If we like what you have to say, we'll mention it on the next show, so you better make it pretty good. We're also individually on Twitter at at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. And if you want to, though we have no idea why you would, you can follow producer Thim at at the Tim Durham. The music you heard on this episode was written by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. And the show is produced by Chris Boniello and Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, as well as Thim himself, Tim Durham. Also, Peter Vincer, Matt Monreon, and Lucy Shen at CastBox. We'd also like to thank Breakmaster Cylinder for the jingles. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing and highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.